Thank you, brother. If you guys will be turning your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1. I'm pretty excited about getting to start this new study. will be a few weeks, probably several weeks. I mean, we do have six chapters to work with and a wealth of information. I know Sunday morning's message was from Galatians, and we looked at the first five verses, but starting the study, I want to back up just a little bit and look at a little bit of the statistical information on the letter. If nothing else, the theme itself, because the theme of the letter is saved by grace. All God's people ought to say amen. Saved, saved by grace. Written somewhere between 49 and 52 AD. He doesn't really give us an exact date, as most letters don't, but they usually mention things in there that kind of gives us a window where we can narrow it down. So somewhere between 49 and 52, of course, as we mentioned Sunday morning, it's written to the churches of southern Galatia there. would have been Central Asia Minor, and Paul would have been the one that, that started those churches as he went through the region there and led so many people to the Lord and started each of the churches. So now he's, he's writing this letter back. He, he has set qualified people over the churches. He feels like he's left them in good work and order. Um, he, he's taught them the truth. He's taught them about salvation by grace and about lose all their guilty stains by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I mentioned on Sunday morning that, that, that a lot of the, the scholars refer to this letter as kind of like the, the rough draft to the book of Romans. The, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome is considered a, a doctrinal masterpiece on salvation, on the subject of salvation, believed to be probably the best letter that we have on it. Paul deals mainly here with the purity of doctrine, and he deals with the purity of, of conduct. Both are important. It is important that we keep our doctrine pure, that we keep our doctrine to the book, and we let nothing alter there. But it's also important that we keep our conduct pure. It's important that if we're going to tell people we're Christians, we need to act like Christians. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. It, <laughs> If we're going to talk about going to church and we're going to talk about we love the Lord and we're going to talk about we serve God, we ought to act different than the world. And that's some of the things that Paul deals with here is, is purity of conduct. Um, of course, the, the letter is written to, to the church. It's written to the people, but, but, but it's meant, he, he writes it, one, to strengthen the church, but he's also writing it as a safeguard because the Jews have come from Jerusalem, the Judaizers. They've come from a long way off to come in and to pervert the gospel. That's a word that we'll see that Paul uses in here. They've come in to change the doctrine and to, to stir some things up. And, and, and so Paul writes his letter and he makes it crystal clear that there is a difference between the law and the gospel. There is a clear defined difference between works and grace. He, he tells us that in another passage that we're saved by grace, not of works. But, but what he's talking about here, there, there's a free or, or a difference between the free gift of God and earning salvation by works. And that's, that's what's butting heads right here with the Jews, the Judaizers, the ones that are coming in. They're, they're, they're saying it, it's the law of Moses. And he's saying, no, it's the grace of God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the, law, the law has a curse for anyone that is under the law. The gospel has a curse only for the ones that reject it. The gospel is free, and the gospel is the means of, of salvation. The, the gospel is God's remedy for the lost. For anybody that will accept God's free gift, the only thing that remains to be done is for each individual to accept what Christ has already done. 
There is no more work. There's no more sacrifice. He just talked about the sacrifice that the priests used to have to do and was a very bloody job and, and was, and it was continually over and over and over. But it has been done once, and, and it's a settled issue. He's seated at the right hand of the Father as our propitiation, as our mediator. So everything has been done except it's up to each one of us to accept what Christ has done for us. So beginning in verse number one, Paul says, an apostle not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, God the Father who raised him from the dead, and the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you, and peace from God the Father. We spent a lot of time on that Sunday morning. Grace be unto you, and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I feel like we looked at that Sunday morning about all we really need to. I'm not saying that we exhausted all that's there. I'm not saying that I got all the good out of that. I don't even know how to get all the good out of it. I'm not smart enough to. Every time I read it, I see something different, something better, something good every time I look. But I am going to move on. And we'll just, I wanted to read them, though, because it kind of sets us up for verse number six. It kind of sets the temperature for us as Paul kind of changes directions here. He says in verse number six, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He says, man, I, I marvel at it. That word marvel, it comes where it says, I, I am I am surprised. I, I am astonished that, that you've already moved away. It, it carries the idea that it was unexpected, like it caught Paul off guard. He wasn't expecting the church to stray away from the truth so quickly. He hadn't been that long set out on his missionary journey. And so it means he hadn't been that long since he expounded on the truth. And as I said before, he left them with capable men. So it's kind of like he's surprised that, that they've not only left the the foundational truth so quickly, but that the Judaizers from Jerusalem have come all the way out to stir this. I don't think the apostle Paul understands how much the Jews hate him. Now we understand that. We spent nearly two years in the book of Acts, right? Looking at the Acts of the Apostles. And we spent the last five months probably on the study of Paul and the subject. And we can see how much they hated him. They followed him from city to city and city to city. They mocked him along the way. They showed up everywhere he went. And then they, they had him beaten and tried to kill him there when he went back to Jerusalem and arrested, eventually sent to Rome. All that was the Jews. I don't think Paul understood because Paul had such a love for the Jews. Y'all remember we looked at that, a love and a compassion for his people. He wanted to see them saved. God sent him out to the Gentiles, but he always had a passion for the Jews. I don't think he understood how much they really hated him. But here, that they've come all this way just to stir up this, this garbage. And, and Paul says, I'm surprised that so soon you have fallen from the truth. He's like, how did you get confused so quickly? Can, can I take a minute and, and buy a vowel right here and show you how easy it is to get confused so quickly? We got a text today. One simple question. Will the church be going through the tribulation period? I took a few minutes to answer that, but I know exactly why I got the text. Because somebody knows we're putting on judgment journey. And somebody 
is called a post-tribber, which means the church is going to go through the tribulation, which they have no doctrine to base it off of. And then I explained you have mid-tribbers that believe after the three and a half years of tribulation, when the Antichrist takes his throne and you set up the great tribulation three and a half years, mid-tribbers believe that's when the church goes. All that's bad doctrine. But, but more of it's going to come. So, I mean, that's how long it takes for, for something to get led astray. But if, if you take Jehovah's Witness, they're, they're probably about as big a pain in the neck as most anybody because of their relentless door-to-door knocking. They're, they're relentless dragging on people. They love to prey on anybody that'll say they go to a church. They don't care what church. How That just means that you got some form of religion, so they pray. I, I just want to show you that, that this isn't just something that happened to the church at Galatia. This is what happens to Christians in LaGrange, Georgia. This is, this is what happens to people right here. This is what the devil is still trying to do. Jehovah's Witness will take scriptures and they, they present them un, under the cover of change. Their doctrine is faulty. Their hermeneutics is faulty. And their teaching is faulty. They carry a Bible so they look like they're telling the truth. They carry a Bible that looks just like yours. They'll even try to read you a few scriptures. But they're only going to read you what they're, what they're taught to read you. They're going to read you what, what they've been sent out to say because they, they've got... Their, their, their little skit laid out and they know how to do it. They will tell you they, they love anybody that says they go to a Baptist church. But because they assume, they assume they're, they're not doctrinally sound. I'm telling you from, from some of their own mouth that, that, that I've talked with, they, they, they think that, well, that person really doesn't read their Bible on their own. That person doesn't really pray it up on their own. And, and they, will, they will target that. But, but here's the facts. A Jehovah's Witness is required to go to the Kingdom Hall a certain number of days. If we required what they did, most of us done got thrown out, including me. That they, they have some very rigorous things they have to do. They have to put in a certain number of hours. They have to put in a certain amount of study and a certain amount of learning. They have to put in so much visitation. They have to go to so many doors and doors. They have to hand out so many of the watchtower tracks. You know why? Because they're trying to get to heaven. Bottom line, they're, they're simply trying to get to heaven. They're, they're required to work. So they'll come in and they say things like, you know, can, can I just maybe read you some scriptures? And they'll read something that you're familiar with. And that kind of buys people in. And you get to reading the Bible, you're thinking, well, they're, they're doing okay. And, and, and it, it may look like you'll see. The thing is, they got their own marks in it. But because they're only going to tell you what they want you to hear. You start questioning their doctrine. You start asking things. They don't want to do that. They want to get back to, to their source. They don't want to fast forward anything because they only know it the way they learned it. And if you get them off the track, you mess them up. Anybody ever had to recite a whole bunch of lines? Jesus. <laughs> Ain't it hard to just stop and start in the middle of it? And stop and Paul come in and like, we stop practice right in the middle. And you got to start because you've messed up the routine. You had the routine down. Well, that's kind of how they are. They got, they got the routine. But, but here's some things that, that they don't want to answer. They do have their own Bible. Their, their teaching is not exactly like yours because here's what they've done. They have altered John 1.1 to change it from saying that Jesus Christ is God to saying that Jesus Christ is a God. He is one of the created sons of God. Now, they're not going to put it out just quite like that when they're trying to, to reel you in. Here's what John 1, 1 actually says in the King James Bible. You ready? In the beginning was the Word. Who is that? Jesus Christ. The Word was with God. So who is with God? And the Word was God. So what does that mean? 
He's the second person of the Godhead Trinity. So the second verse says, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Godhead Trinity. He was present with God because he is God. And when they created it, they created all things together, even when they made man, and let us make man in our image, correct? So let me read you something from their own literature. To call the word, talking about in the beginning was the word, to call the word God teaches polytheism, which is the worship of many gods. They say it's a misconception. The last phrase in John 1.1, it's a misconception that is translated the word was God. They say that whole translation is wrong. They say it's a misconception that the word, meaning Jesus, has always existed because they believe he's a created being. It's a misconception that the verse teaches that the word is the same as almighty God. They say the statement, the word was with God, indicates two separate persons discussed in, in the verse. So it's not possible for the word to be with God and be God. Now, that's from their own literature. That's, that's from their own false doctrine. I'm, I'm, I'm reading that straight from their Watchtower stuff. I'm, I, I'm telling you that they come, they absolutely deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not believe in the bodily resurrection. I already told you from their own stuff. They believe that he turned into a gaseous something in a tomb and just vanished away. They do not believe in the bodily resurrection. They do not believe in hell. They will. Hello. They do not believe in, in hell. They, they do believe that only. Now, here you go. Here's why they are willing to work so hard. They only believe that 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses is all that's getting to go to heaven on a first-class ticket. That ain't just the 8 billion people that's alive now that you've got to outwork. That's the billions of people in all the history of time. There's only 144,000. The rest of them are Jonadabs. That's called second-class citizens. There's no hell, so they can't go there. They're, they're just little nothing citizens. So they believe that they're working to try to be one of 144,000 out of the hundreds of billions of people that's lived on this earth. Do you wonder why they work so hard? Because they're not willing to accept the fact that grace is enough. Jesus Christ is enough. The blood is enough. We are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. They, they don't buy into all that yet with all this false story and all this false doctrine and all of their lies. They, they are deceiving people every single day. The apostle Paul said, mark them and avoid them. That's what he said. Don't invite them to your house and try to change them. Can I just tell you, they ain't going to change my mind. I ain't going to change theirs. The only thing you can do is, if you're doctrinally sound enough, you can do like the ones that did on that dirt road. You can kill about two hours of their day. At least you're saving somebody else from having to talk to them. And that way they can go away frustrated and probably out of gas because they were stupid enough to come over to talk to them and let their car run over there. So mark them and stay away from them. But, but this, this isn't back at the church at Galatia. This is today. The devil didn't stop. With the Jews and the Judaizers back at Galatia, the devil's still trying it. I, I, I pulled a book out there. It's called, um, what is it? The Colts. Kingdom of the Colts. Yay thick. One of my college books. We were talking about that. I said, look, all of this, all of this is what we had to study in college. This is all the stuff. Scientology. 
All, all, all of the things that's out there, all of the lies, all, all of the false doctrine. See, these Jews came to Galatia and they said, this man, Paul, he, he's lying to you. Grace can't do anything for you. Well, you have to keep the law. You still have to keep the Sabbath and you still have to keep circumcision and you, you still have to keep, in a nutshell, I mentioned Sunday, the traditions of your father. That's what you have to keep. And the church hadn't changed away from that a lot. There's still a lot of churches bound in tradition. We talked about, hey, I could preach tonight. I got on a white shirt. Glory to God. Is that why you got me a white shirt tonight? Because I had on a green shirt Sunday morning. I wasn't even allowed to preach. They're still bound in those traditions. Where does that stuff come from? It comes from the tra traditions of the fathers. And here's what the traditions of their father was. Salvation has to be faith plus works. Christ alone isn't enough. That, that's what they're saying. Paul says, I'm astonished that you have fallen into this trap so quickly. Now, here's something that I see looking at the letter. In all honesty, the more I look at it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Paul doesn't blame the Jews for telling the lie. Paul blames the church for believing the lie. You, you see that in the letter? Paul's not scolding the Jews. You know why? Because the world's going to lie. And the world's going to cheat. And the world's going to steal. Of what of such were some of you. We forgot what we were. And, and, and the world's going to do those things. So, so they're not the one at fault. They're just doing what the world does. When, when we fail, we fail. Oh, it's quiet now. When a Christian fails, a Christian fails. When, when we make a mistake, we make a mistake. It's not the devil's fault. God allowed the temptation, but he said they wouldn't allow temptation. I don't have time to get off over than all that. B bigger than we can handle. But God's always with us. But God allowed it, but we make the choice. We decide whether or not are we going to stand firm on the things of God or are we going to so soon fall into the trap? That's what he's talking about here. How in the world did you so soon see Paul preached salvation through faith? They preached salvation through law and works. And, and as I mentioned Sunday, they don't care. You can have your Christ. You can have him if you want and add him into the part of the equation. We don't mind you adding him in as something else you got to do, but you still got to do all these other legalistic things. You, you still got to stay into it. There, there is no similarity between what Paul is teaching in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what legalism, Judaism is teaching in the world. See, now, Paul's not teaching contrary to James. And James doesn't teach contrary to Paul. James is the one who says, show me thy faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. That, that's not a contradictory. James is he's not advocating works for salvation. He's expressing works because of salvation. You, you don't do what you do for the glory of God to try to get saved. You don't sing in the choir. You don't work with the children. You don't, you don't play the part of Jesus. You don't teach Sunday school. You, you don't do all of those things to try to earn your salvation. We do that because we are children of God. We do that because we love the Lord and we just want to serve him. So that, that's what James is saying in his, that, 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 that we work because of our salvation. And even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. What James is saying, if we truly are children of God and grace truly has taken hold, then people ought to see the works in us. 
People ought to see evidence of it in our life. We, we ought to look different, walk different, talk different, act different. We ought to be different. We're new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. If they are, let them be gone. Behold, all things have become new. If they're new, then we're new. Amen. So we're new creatures in Christ. So we can't look like what we used to be of such for some of you. That means we got to look like what? We got to look more like this book. And Lord willing, every day we get up and we read this book for a little bit and we pray for a little bit. Every day we look a little bit more like the picture this book paints. And his name's Jesus. That, that, that's our goal. So, so we know that, that salvation is the, the free gift of God and, and that it's not of works. But we know that, that once we become children of God, then we become workers for the kingdom of God. That make anybody feel good? I'll make you feel good. You are a worker for the kingdom of God. I like that. Made me feel a little better just thinking about it. Verse number seven says, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul said, it's not even another gospel. It's not another gospel. It is a perversion of the true gospel. There, there's no room for compromise. There, there's no room for, for debate. There's nothing here to discuss. The word that Paul uses there for pervert, it means to take something and to transform the meaning of it into something completely different. He said, that's what they've done. They brought you another gospel. They've taken the true gospel and they've changed it around to try to make it sound like it's something that it's really not. You know, I made the statement Sunday. God says, all that had to be done has been done. At Calvary, at the empty tomb, at the ascension, all that has to be done has been done. The only thing is left is for us to accept it. So, so Paul preaches the good news of the gospel. They come in and preach the bad news. That's called grace plus. They're, they're saying no matter what, you have to earn your way if you want to go to heaven. And here's what Paul said. He says, let them be accursed. You know, some of the strongest language in, in the Bible isn't used towards the murderer or the adulterer, extortion of those. It, it, it is reserved and it is used for those who will pervert the gospel. Any man who adds to this, may all the plagues of this book be added to him. May any man that takes away from this, may his part be taken away from the things of God, from the kingdom of heaven. God is very adamant about leaving his book alone. And teaching it just like it's written and not perverting or changing the gospel. And, and that's what Paul says. It's not different. They're just, they're just changing it around. He, he's talking about those that, that they're taking. They, they are expounding on religious error. They're, they're trying to take something and make it something that's not. When, when John talks about them, he calls the religious elite. Remember when he was talking to the Pharisees there at the Jordan River that day and, and they came out and he said, old generation of vipers there in Mark chapter or Matthew chapter three. Remember when he's talking to him, he calls them a, a generation of vipers. And Jesus talks to them on multiple occasions. Matter of fact, we do it in the Easter play several times. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them whited sepulchers. He, he calls them, he calls them vipers and serpents. So, so, Jesus has a name, God has a name, the scriptures has a name for those who would try to pervert the gospel. He says in verse number eight, he says, though we are an angel from heaven, if we preach any other gospel to you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul says if there was some way, if there was some way that an angel could come from heaven and come down 
and teach something, and he taught something contrary to the truth of this book, let that angel be accursed. See, it's not the messenger that matters, it's the message. It, the, the message is, is what is to be pure and remain pure. And he says, it doesn't matter if the messenger was an angel somehow got out of heaven. If he changes this gospel, he says, let him be accursed. It, it, it is a crime in the courtroom of heaven to pervert the gospel. That it is settled in heaven forever. Never to be changed. God's word never to be rewritten. Never to be redone. Never to, to be altered or to be, to be changed around. The, the problem, one of the problems that we have in, in well, in America, in, in the world, in the church period, is, is we've, we've become so accustomed to compromise. It's okay. We're all just family. We're all in it together. We, we, we've gotten so accustomed to being politically correct, uh, afraid that, you know, we don't, we don't want to think that, 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 might, that might be offensive to somebody. We, we've become so tolerant to the false religions and, and the false beliefs in our society. God said, thus saith the Lord. That's all that matters. What the word of God says is all that matters and everything else is wrong. If it is against this book, it is S-I-N in all capital letters. If God calls it sin, it's sin. I don't care what the world calls it. I don't care what kind of flowers they want to put. I, I, I don't care if the Methodist church as a whole wants to say, hey, God loves everybody and we're going to let homosexuals preach in the podium. Well, you just polluted the podium of God. You just polluted the church. You just polluted the altar. It doesn't matter what you think. God said it's sin. It's sin. You, you can't change. But we've, we've become so accustomed that we don't want to hurt anybody's last little feeling. So, so we, we, let things, we, we let things go on. Well, you know, one thing that they say is true. God loves everybody. I'm very thankful for that because I'm, I'm worse than any of them could have ever been. I'm very thankful. That's a true statement. God loves everybody so much so that christ came and died for everybody but he came to to bury our sin to 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 wash away our sin not to condone it he came so that we can be free and we can be saved from sin not so that we can continue to live in sin but but we live in this compromised world today and in christians y'all we're called a hate group now you know that right we're, we're, we're called a hate group. If you stand on the truth, you're a hate group. How can you be a hate group if you love somebody so much you don't want to see them go to hell so you try to tell them the truth? But, but that, that's the way the, the world paints it up. Paul says, what happened? How, 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 how did you fall into this trap so quickly that, that the scriptures are getting changed around? For us, it happened all that quickly. For, for them, it was a pretty quick thing, but See, this isn't, just, this isn't just some simple little matter. The souls of men hang in the balance over this. You pervert this gospel, you pervert the truth. You pervert this, you begin to pervert how people get saved. The souls of men and women are hanging in the balance. The difference is between eternal life and eternal torment. 
I mean, heaven or hell is at stake here. And just because somebody says they don't believe in hell, ain't going to keep them from going there. There are no atheists in hell. There are no people there who don't believe in it. Salvation. The, the method, the method of salvation it is settled in the portals of glory. It is settled in this book. And it ought to be settled in the hearts of the Christian. It ought to be settled in our mind. We, we should have at least enough to defend the gospel of grace. We, we should at least be able to defend that little bit. That, that we are saved by grace and grace alone and not of words. Verse number 9. It says that <laughs> we said before. So say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you that, that you have received. Let him be accursed. As far as God is concerned, it's a settled issue. Christ is enough. Christ is the answer. Nothing left to be done. To, to tamper with, with so great a salvation is to, to tamper with the eternal destiny of a soul. And the Holy Spirit here, writing through the hand of Paul, says, let him be accursed. That, that, that's not Paul just making some vindictive statement towards the Jews. That's not just him mad at these people that came down and he's just slandering or throwing rocks back over in, in their court. This is the Holy Spirit pointing out the seriousness of not standing on the truth. This is the Holy Spirit pointing out the seriousness of not standing on, thus saith the Lord. Anything that minimizes, anything that alters, anything that conflicts, anything that attempts to change the, the word of God or challenge the word of God, which is salvation through faith, Paul says it's worthy to be accursed. Let them be accursed. The, the word accursed, there it comes from the word, it means to be banned or, or to be excommunicated. Now, Verse 8 and 9, you notice that they end with that same word. Probably to show that that's not just a slip of the tongue. That's not just Paul mad saying, well, you'd be accursed. And firing off doing something like I'd do. That he, he says it a second time to, to show it didn't just like a, a, a moment of anger. But, but it brings the audience in to, to the seriousness of the matter. That, that if you're going to mess with the doctrine of salvation, be accursed. John Gill's exposition says it like this. Let him be accursed. It says, which he repeats for the more solemn confirmation of it. And to show that this didn't drop from his lips hastily or inadvertently. Nor did it proceed from any irregular passions. Or was it spoken by him in heat and in an angry mood. His mind being ruffled, disturbed, and, and, and discomposed. But it was said by him in the most serious and solemn manner. Upon the most thoughtful and mature consideration of the affair. Paul didn't just bark that out. The Holy Spirit put that on his, on, on his, I won't say on his tongue, but he didn't say it, he wrote it. The Holy Spirit put that there to, to put it out twice. In, in verse number 10, it says, For I do now, or, or for do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. I, I, I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, it seems like, it seems like we'll, we'll 
I'm, I'm about done. I don't really have time to, to take that ball and run with it yet. But it seems like maybe somebody has accused Paul here. Maybe they're, they're questioning Paul's integrity. There, there's a little bit of change of direction in his writing. So maybe some, somebody is, is questioning his consistency on the scriptures, which we know would be false. But, but Paul says, we're not in the business of pleasing men. We're not in the business of tickling the ear just to make somebody feel good. We're in the business of grace is enough. We're in the business of there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We're in the business of I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We're in the business of in the beginning to amen, nothing added, nothing taken away. We're not in the business of pleasing people. We're, we're not in the business of being sounding brass and tinkling cymbals, making good music to get people to listen. Our job as children of God, anybody here a child of God? Woo, y'all be proud to get to throw that hand up. As children of God, our job is to tell them this truth. All I got to tell them is this is what happened to me. This is who I was. This is what I did. This is where I am. That's our job. It didn't take my works. What it took was Jesus Christ. We're not in the business of changing or molding or trying to make. See, that's the problem. That's the problem with people today. They're trying to change this book to fit their life. God says not a chance. You change your life to fit this book. This is the benchmark. This is the benchmark. And, and everything comes to this benchmark. You don't move the benchmark to make you feel good about yourself. You, you don't judge by somebody else. God says, this is the benchmark. You, you stand on, on, on this. We are to preach the truth of the gospel in its purest form. And Paul says, this is it. I am saved by grace. His name is Jesus. His blood washes away all my sin. He's going to prepare a place for me. And one day he's going to come and get me and take me to where he is. That, that I can be there also. And, and we're all going to the family of God. Amen. Well, Lord, Lord willing, I don't have time to take and run on with that verse. So we'll, we'll plan to pick up right there next week. God, thank you so much, God, for this precious, precious book, God. Lord, thank you for the letters that you wrote to us. Thank you for its purity and its sovereignty and its holiness. God, thank you that we can take it and touch it. And God, that you, you would let us touch words wholly inspired by the Holy Spirit. God, is amazing, but that you would let us read them and talk about them and, and teach them, God. Lord, all I want to tell you is thank you, Lord. Will you take this book and shape our lives? Would you help us, God, as we read it to be and shaping into the character that, that, it, that it tries to bend us to be, God. Will you shape us and mold us and make us into the, to the image that this book describes, God? That, that's, our, that's our will, God. We just want to serve you. We want to live in that place called the center of your perfect will. Nothing left, nothing right, not ahead, not behind, God. Help us, Father, to be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for this body of people. Lord, I pray a hedge of protection about them. As, as we go out, Lord, I pray. Lord, it, Lord Jesus, if you tarry. If you don't come in the morning, would you make us usable vessels that somebody might see Christ in us before the day ends tomorrow? We love you, Lord. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.
Amen.